everyone, and welcome to That Time When, the comedy history podcast when we talk about strange things that happened in history. I'm Amelia Edwards, and with me today is my co-host, Barnaby King. Hello there, everyone. And today, I want to get right to it. I want to talk about one of my favourite medieval ladies. Oh, nice. That's good, because I'm a bit sad today. I know you're a bit sad. Tell (laughs) them why you're sad, Barnaby. I'm a bit sad because I'm getting to the end of a book trilogy I've been reading. It's the Three Body Problems series by Xi Jin Liu. Mm -hmm. And let's just say it's bleak. Yep. It's bleak. We're, we're, I'm not going to spoil anything here. Like, if you read it, just know you're in for a whale of a time. It's good, good book series, but I'm sad. So I'm ready to, instead of looking to the future with sci-fi, mm-hmm. I'm ready to go back to the past and look at fancy medieval ladies. So... Let's go back to the past and let's look at Eleanor of Aquitaine. So nice! Parts of her <laughs> life are a little bit bleak, but yeah. most of them are badass and awesome. Yeah. Like... I've already mentioned Eleanor briefly before on this very podcast. Yes, it was the very first episode. It was the first episode. She was the mother of Richard the Lionheart, and that is not at all like one of the most interesting things about her, (laughs) (laughs) which is rare for medieval ladies. I was going to say, that's really good, because normally it's like, oh, this person is the mother of this person, and that's Mm. what makes them interesting. Or they were married to whoever. Yeah, I'm thinking of like uh, Viking sagas. If you're a fan of the uh, show Vikings, which I was for a while, and then I kind of got bored with, um, one of the characters... In the saga, and kind of in the show too, she's only really interesting because she's the wife of Ragnar Lothbrok and the mother of many of his sons. Sure. Even though, like, she should be more interesting because she's meant to be, like, descended from Odin and, yeah. I mean, even if we only looked at Eleanor of Aquitaine based on that kind of metric... Yeah. Eleanor of Aquitaine was married to one king of France Mm -hmm. and one king of England... At the same time. Uh... Eight weeks apart. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, nice. Eleanor, moving on quickly. She was. And we'll talk about that at the end of this episode, actually. Did, did, I'm I'm assuming this isn't divorce. This is not an era of. It was an annulment. Oh, okay. And we'll talk about that at the end of this podcast, too. I know, because it gets juicy. Oh, nice. I am excited. Uh, She was also the mother of two um, future queens of different parts of Europe, and the mother of, wait, three sons. Yeah. One of whom was Richard the Lionheart. Yeah. One of whom was a duke and died before he could become king of England. And the final one of whom was John, (laughs) um, whom she completely like overrode on anything that he did was particularly stupid. I mean, you words like you words. If, if uh, for those who don't have this knowledge of history, King John is the king that always appears in the Robin Hood series. Mm-hmm. In any sort of incarnation, you know the sheriff of Nottingham is like his main adversary, but in the background, there's always King John. Yep. If you're thinking about the uh, the animated Disney version, he's the Lion King. <laughs> yeah. Uh, oh, Lion King. He's not the Lion King. <laughs> <laughs> he is the Lion King. Mm. Uh, he's so bad and so like despised in English history that A. A. Mill of Winnie the Pooh fame actually wrote a poem about him <laughs> that began, King John was not a good man. Excellent. And we've never had another King John since then nope. for that very reason. Mm-hmm. And we've had plenty of bad kings you wouldn't want to name your sons after. Yeah, I suppose. But King John, no. Yeah. But anyway, coming back to Eleanor. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I mentioned her in our first episode because we talked about Richard's participation in the Third Crusade when she basically like frog marched this woman down from Spain to wherever he was at the time and forced the two of them to get married. Nice. I'm going to say right now, I think Eleanor Ractane was brilliant and badass and cool, but I also think I would probably never want to meet her because she sounds absolutely terrifying. I mean, just from that description, she sounds like one of those very overbearing parents who want their children to succeed no matter what. Absolutely. Why aren't you getting <laughs> why aren't you getting straight A's? Why aren't you top of the class? Oh, my own childhood is coming back to me. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm, I'm joking. Well, today I actually want to talk about Eleanor Rakatane back in the day. Um so when she was a real smoke show. Oh, she was. Oh, nice. <laughs> um, back when she had her own participation in a crusade. Oh, brilliant. Um, This one was the Second Crusade, Mm. which ran from 1147 to 1150. Mm. So at this point, Eleanor was 25 years old. Nice. And she'd already been the Queen of France for about 10 years. Wow. Right? God, I wouldn't want to be any sort of, like, ruling monarch at the age of 15. No. So she was either... She was somewhere between 13 and 15 when she took over the throne. You know, I mean, as bad as each other, pretty I much. Like, I remember myself at 13 <laughs> and 15. That young man should not be given... No. No one should of, be given power at uh, that age. Even worse, her husband mm-hmm. was uh, Louis the Seventh, and he was 17 when he inherited the throne. Okay. So what were the... At this sort of time... Would they have had a regent or was he considered old enough to rule? I think he was more or less considered old enough to rule. Damn. I know. So was, was there any like hard and fast rules about what made like a boy king like Richard II or? Um, like it's, I haven't looked into this one. So okay. usually they sort of say your age of majority is 21. Okay. Um, but we do have people who take over massive big roles before that. So... Mm. Um, yeah, Richard II had a load of regents, but then they also kept being overbearing to him his whole life. Yeah. And then he was a bit later on. Yeah. Usually you got your mum to be regents, <laughs> which led oh. to a whole bunch of problems. <laughs> I thought you were going to say you get your mum to be overbearing. <laughs> I mean, they, they were. They were overbearing regents. Yeah. Like, I haven't even talked yesterday about the empress who had her son blinded because she wanted to maintain power. Oh, no. I know a little bit about that. Mm. Yeah. Uh, so... I'm not entirely sure. I think they might have had a little bit of, like, guidance. But I think that they're kind of considering he's old enough. He's Mm. okay. Well, if you don't know, what's the point of us doing this podcast? I'm sorry. You're meant to know everything about history. (laughs) sorry, I tried. Okay. (laughs) I'm joking. So, um, thinking back, she's 25 now. she's 25. She's also the Duchess of Aquitaine. Nice. And I think, according to one source anyway, uh, she was also the Countess of Poitou. Poitou? Poitou, in France. Oh, Poitou. Poitou. I thought you were saying like Poitou, like as in, I don't know, a weird pronunciation of Poirot. Uh, no. Um, she is not a cute Poirot. <laughs> a little grey cells are not working. Ah, uh, but she is very clever. Yeah. At this point, while France was one country, yeah. uh, the different dukedoms had a lot of power, mm. whereas the king had comparatively little. Yeah. So actually, she's got a lot of power compared yeah. to most queens because she's a duchess in her own right right okay um and she's 25 years old which Mm. is a mad time to be yeah queen of france and duchess of aquitaine Mm. and only aquitaine as well Mm. well i suppose given that what we see at the moment is it's uh generally older Mm. generally 
white mm-hmm. men who are basically in charge of everything. A 25-year-old French woman couldn't do worse, really. I mean, granted. <laughs> uh, except that I'm going to tell you something that she influenced that's okay. a little dodgy. Okay. That right. kind of leads us on to the crusade. Yeah. Um, she seems to have encouraged Louis VII to commit a war crime in the mid-1140s. Okay. So... We're going to get into gossip here. Right. Okay. Because my mind is reeling right now because obviously like what is a war crime can mean a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. If you're talking about medieval war crimes. Oh, they're bad. Yeah. It sounds like it's going to be bad. It's bad. Okay. Basically, <laughs> her sister Petronilla right. was really into this man called Raoul. 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 Oof. But he's, he's French. He's not Spanish. Oh. Um, he was the Count of Vermandois. Mm-hmm. And he was the seneschal of France, which I think means that he had a lot of power. Right, yeah. Um, and he really wanted to be with Petronilla too. Right. The problem was that Raoul was already married. Oh, no. I know. He was married to a lady called Eleanor of Blois. Yeah. A lot of Eleanors. A lot of Eleanors. This is <laughs> Eleanor of Blois, which I, I apologise to any French people. I'm doing my best. Um, Louis said that Raoul could give up his wife, Eleanor, mm-hmm. and marry Petronilla instead. Okay. So this is the bit where we think that Eleanor was encouraging this. Yeah. Obviously. Mm-hmm. Eleanor of Blois, though, had a brother called Theobald. Right. And Theobald objects strongly to this. Yeah. Um, so there was a war. Okay. And this war ended with the occupation of Champagne, um, <laughs> which I believe Theobald was a duke or something there. I know. He just sat in a big bath of it. Oh, man. We are now occupying Champagne. (laughs) And the occupation of Champagne included the burning of the town of Vitry. Right. During that burning, more than a thousand people sought refuge in the church and they were burned to death. Oh, my God. This was personally supervised by the king, Louis VII. Oh, my God. All because... All because Petronella wanted to bang Raoul. <laughs> wow, and Raoul must have been hot. I mean... <laughs> as, I hot seen... as, as hot as the people of Champagne. Hey! hey! That still feels too soon. <laughs> <laughs> it feels like it's in poor taste, even though these are people who died... Oh, More than a... Th- uh, no, not more than a... Slightly like, under a thousand years ago. Yeah, yeah. They're talking about like eight to nine hundred yeah. years ago. I apologise to the descendants of the people of Vitry. <laughs> uh, to, to most people, To really, most then. people, probably. <laughs> um, okay, so, uh, Louis, then, is a, like he's a really pious man. Mm. He's so pious. Um, and Apart from that apart one little <laughs> church burning. Apart from the one church burning. I mean, like, who doesn't burn I down know. a church with a thousand people in it? Yeah, what pious person hasn't looked at a church every now and then and just gone, that would look good in flames? Mm. Yeah. Although images of Notre Dame are now coming up in my oh, head. No. I'm like, what have you done, Louis? He's come back from the dead. He was like, oh, oh, I could burn down that church. The spirit of Louis Seventh is still wandering around <laughs> France, occasionally possessing people and getting them to torch churches. Mm. So. God, I really hope that in between now and the podcast going out, there isn't some horrific church burning. There will be. I mean, there must be so many, like recently built churches going up in California at the moment. Oh god, yeah, that's a good point. Damn. Mm. Well anyway, let's go Let's go back to the past. I, it's I a nicer tri- time. Yeah, I tried to start I-, I wanted this to not be depressing. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. So 
Louis, being a pious man, burns down this church and then goes, what have I done? <laughs> you burned down a church, mate. <laughs> but why did I do it? I am sinful. Yeah. And, um, yeah. And then the Pope announces a crusade and mm. asks for his help. So he's like, yes. Right, okay. Because he's more than ready to go. He sees it as a pilgrimage. Yeah. He sees it as a way of getting rid of some of the sinning he's mm. done. He's going to do some atonement. He's going to do some atonement. So in 1145, he takes the cross. Mm. And we've talked about taking the cross before. It means you're going on yes. crusade. You put a, a cloth cross usually on yeah. your clothing do you think the pope knew about this church burning yes he told him off right and i think he told eleanor off as well for encouraging him yeah um, i mean this... a lot of people tell eleanor off for a lot of stuff <laughs> she does always i mean i'm just thinking do you think that the pope was kind of like hmm, hmm i want a crusade but i don't really have like the support for it and then it's like Louis burns down a church and he's like, brilliant, I'm going to call that crusade I always wanted and you can't do anything about it. I mean, it really seems like that, to yeah. be honest. Um, it seems like the crusaders for the Second Crusade were mostly French and German forces. Right. So I don't know what the Pope had over the German rulers at the time, yeah. but yeah, he definitely had something over on Louis. Hmm. Was it the Holy Roman Empire at that point? It was. Yeah. I think. It must be. Yes, it was. Yeah. It was. We were on to Otto's by then. Yeah, we're good. Cool. Okay. So, this makes sense to me. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. I, I apologise to our listeners. Obviously, like, as we said at the beginning of this, like, Amelia has done a degree in history and literature. And while I've not done something similar myself, I have got a lot of vicarious knowledge from just <laughs> discussing things with her. Um Charlemagne. Charlemagne. Charlemagne springs to mind. We, I, I think it was in, was it your first or second year? I was obsessed with Charlemagne in my first year. Yeah. And we talked a lot about Charlemagne. Oh, yes. And obviously, because I was in, I got interested in Vikings, Charlemagne mm -hmm. was concurrent with Vikings. So, you know. He was just before Vikings. He was, uh, he was actually, yes, you're right. But mm. proto-Vikings. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Anyway. So, <laughs> Louis takes the cross and so does Eleanor. Okay. And... This might surprise us. Normally, your queen doesn't go on crusade with you. No, you'd think she's going to stay behind and sort of rule in your place, mm -hmm. keep everything in order, mm -hmm. make sure that the uh, the peasants, as Jacob Rees-Mogg would put it, <laughs> don't go out of line. Uh, yeah, but actually, Eleanor doesn't necessarily have to do that because we've got this situation in France where we've got loads of different oh, dukes. Of course. So actually, there's not loads of reason for her to stay, but there are a couple of reasons for her to go. Okay. And the first of this is that she is the Duchess of Aquitaine. Hmm. And so her joining encourages a large number of her vassals to right. join as well. So yeah. she's basically bringing an army of her own. Yeah. And it's the majority of the French army. Oh. Because Aquitaine is huge. Okay. Nowadays, um, it, it's it's taken up by like what's mostly Burgundy, which I believe is still massive. Right. So yeah. to give you an idea, it's like a lot of the south of France is what we're talking okay. about. Okay. So loads of soldiers, loads of knights. Mm. So when my sister lived in Montpellier, she'd be going off to war with Aquitaine. I believe so. Right. I Don't quote me on this. Um, <laughs> I'm not 100% sure on the boundaries of the Aquitaine. Yeah. But she would have been in the Languedoc, which is the south part of France. Right. Okay. Um, and yeah, so they're very close. They're very close. Yeah. At least. So she's bringing the army. Mm. So she needs to be there. Yeah. Um, secondly, she had also been corresponding with her uncle, Raymond of Antioch. 
mm-hmm. um, who wanted her help. Right. So Antioch, I believe, is in Syria now or near to Syria. I was going to say, like, that is pretty close by to mm. where you're eventually going. And it is basically where they're aiming for, is Antioch. Okay. Um, so she has a personal reason to want to go, yeah. too. She's got family there. She's got family there. Her Uncle Raymond is her father's younger brother. Oh, he's fun Uncle Raymond. Fun Uncle Raymond. She's going to go. He's going to like get secretly give her sweets. And it's like, don't tell, don't tell your parents about this. (laughs) And Uh, she's like, they're both dead. (laughs) He's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I've been in Antioch for a long time. (laughs) So uh, there is a bit of a question with Eleanor about whether other noble ladies followed her example and joined the crusade along their crusader husbands. Mm. There's some evidence they did this in the first crusade as well. Okay. Um, there was this long-standing myth that Eleanor brought along 300 of her ladies-in-waiting. Nice. I know. And that they dressed as Amazons. Nice. So some people have interpreted that as they dressed in armour. Yeah. Some people have interpreted it as they wore the traditional clothing of the Amazons, uh, which... For our listeners who might not know this, uh, Amazons are often depicted as wearing a tunic with one breast uncovered. Mm. Um, so that story is like super romantic and also a bit sexy. Yes. And it made it <laughs> it made it into the line in winter, one of our favourite films. Yes. Because Eleanor says, I rode bare-breasted all the way to Damascus. Louis was livid and I damn near died of windburn, but the troops dazzled ah oh, so Such good. A good line that film is one of the best I oh think. it's wonderful but it takes off a lot of like myths about these characters because it's oh, been yeah. such a long time obviously we've mythologized them a bit yeah but i mean still a good film mm. like oh i i recommend if you're interested in history particularly like medieval history mm. watch the line in winter and it's even pretty if pretty accurate in terms of their clothing and stuff even which is quite nice yeah i was gonna say even if you're not interested in history just the way the story is told mm. if you're like a fan of compelling narrative political and like intrigue political intrigue oh my god like when game of thrones was becoming really popular i remember it was around that sort of time that i watched the line in winter first mm-hmm. time and of course, one of the big things that people really liked about Game of Thrones in the early days was like the political intrigue stuff on it. Yeah, first season Game of Thrones is top political intrigue. Yeah, but then Line in Winter, Blows superior, it out of the water. like amazing stuff. It's and really good. It's it's the moments when you can see people working stuff out. Yeah, like in the moment. There's this one bit where uh, it's Henry the Second, isn't yeah. it? Yeah, he is. He's going to like marry his son off. Yes. And he's he's giving this like short speech explaining everything, and you can just see Eleanor of Aquitaine beside him, just sort of like starting to furrow her brow as mm. she realizes the implications of it, yeah. and then suddenly has to like stop the marriage, yeah. which she wanted to happen the whole time. Yeah. obviously. Um, oh, so good, <laughs> so good. Could go on about that film for ages, but we let's did. let's go on about the real Eleanor of Aquitaine. So this story about her riding bare-breasted all the way to Damascus with her three hundred Amazon warriors yeah. is awesome. Yeah, but it's also probably a complete lie. Oh, I know, but it sounds like it was a complete lie because she wasn't very well liked by a lot of chroniclers who saw her as a bit of a um a slut like, oh, okay <laughs> um, <laughs> i mean I, <laughs> wow you went right there i know i wanted to be more like a seductress maybe like, yeah. yeah ruining everything because she's a woman yeah like, that kind of all of that i mean it's, these guys it's, are super misogynist yeah they they did the equivalent of calling her a slut 
Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this time, uh, the reason why the story is her with her 300 ladies-in-waiting dressed as Amazon mm. warriors, um, basically, there's, there was a massive disaster on the crusade that I'm going to talk about in a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and William of Tyre, who was one of the chroniclers, who was writing like 30 years after the whole thing happened anyway, yeah, um, blamed that disaster on the amount of baggage that was being carried <laughs> on the behalf of Eleanor and her ladies. Because we all know women... Oh. They bring so much luggage they with them. They bring so much luggage with them that it disrupts the Second Crusade. <laughs> oh my God. It's like that bit in Spaceballs when they're going through the desert <laughs> and they've got the enormous luggage with the giant hairdryer in there it. There is nothing new in the world. Wow. God, misogynists really aren't very inventive, are they? They're really not. <laughs> they're all just mimicking William of Tyre, I swear <laughs> to God. Uh, we do know, though, that the Greek historian Nicetus Chionitis mm-hmm. admired her very much. He compared her to Penthesilea, the Amazon warrior queen. Amazing. Uh, while they were staying in Constantinople, which to me suggests that she had a military bearing, yeah. that she might have worn armour, mm. which makes sense because she is leading an army and accompanying yeah. an army. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> even if she's not going to fight, you don't want some no. random arrow flying out and hitting her. Right? They're going to be attacked. She yeah. knows that. Um, and it also suggests to me that maybe she had some female accompaniment because, like, the Amazons are a women warrior band. It's, like, what they're known for. I'm going to talk a bit about the Crusade at this point. So, yeah. like... Um, one of the things that really got me into the idea of this story was the idea of the 300 warrior women, yeah. which mm, maybe there's some truth to it, maybe mm. not, who knows. Um, I feel like, because we've already talked about the failures of the Third Crusade, mm-hmm. it's not going to surprise you very much when I tell you the Second Crusade was also a bit of a bust. Yeah, I mean, the Crusades never really achieved what they were meant to do. The First Crusade did, but yeah. then after that it just like went downhill really rapidly. If First Crusade succeeded, why did they need the other two? Hey, all right then. Okay, so <laughs> uh, the French Crusaders, once they'd landed in the Middle East, mm. they marched towards Antioch. Yeah. So first of all, they discover that many of the German forces who've gone ahead have been slaughtered by the Turkish army. Oof. That's not what you want. They find all their unburied bodies, basically. And oh, God. They're really bummed out about it, which is very understandable. Yeah. Um, then, when they were ca- crossing Mount Cadmus, Louis ordered the vanguard, which was commanded by Eleanor's Aquitanian vassal Geoffrey de Rancon, to make s- to make camp at the summit. Mm. But they pushed on. Okay. They went past the summit. Right. This left the rear of the column, which the king was part of. Yeah. Which was mostly unarmed pilgrims. Oh no. And baggage trains. <laughs> Go bloody women! All those 300 women with their baggage, <laughs> Jesus. What do they even put in there? <laughs> They've all got their yieldy hairdryers. And they're like a hairdryer, exactly like a hairdryer, but they would never be able to plug them in, so they just carry them about like until they learn what electricity is. I was thinking, like, it's it's the size of the hairdryer in Spaceballs, but there's just a person inside, they light a little fire and then just blow. Oh, they got bellows. <laughs> yeah, oh, they got bellows, yes. yes. <laughs> okay. Um, so, what happened was that the pilgrims and the baggage trains were dawdling because they thought, you know, we're close to the summit, it's yeah. all fine, but all the actual trained soldiers have marched on ahead, so you've oh, got yeah. a kind of split. Oh, no. And then the Turks attacked them. Yeah. Obviously, because they'd been following them for days, yeah. and they're like, oh, great. 
Um, and they kill most of them. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Um, Louis escaped ah. because he was wearing a pilgrim's tunic, ah. because he's such a humble man yeah. and such a pious man. He's a pilgrim. Um, <laughs> apart from burning that one church. Apart from burning that one church. But we can't <laughs> hold that on, over on him, can we? It was just the one. It's just a... It was just a few thousand people or whatever it was. It was 1,000 people. Oh, it was just 1,000 people. people. Yeah. Um, and he had, and this is in quotes, but I don't know where the quote comes from, but I love it anyway. Okay. Nimbly and bravely scaled a rock by making use of some tree roots which God had provided for his safety. <laughs> he bravely ran away. Ah, <laughs> oh, he's brave Sir Robin. He is brave Sir Robin. He got away. Amazing. So, guess who was blamed for this disaster? Oh, was it Eleanor? Jesus, why would you think that? Because <laughs> misogynists never change. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there is an element of it, because it was her vassal who marched people on instead of stopping where mm, they were meant to. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yes, they were like, it's Eleanor, it's her fault, because she's a woman. Yeah. I mean, they were pretty blatant about it sometimes. They were like, women don't know how to organise, you know, countries and things like that. Um, <laughs> she needs to stop telling her husband what he should be doing. I mean, if we look at, again, I'm drawing comparisons to the real world here. Mm-hmm. If you consider, say, this country compared to New Zealand, mm-hmm. which has Jacinda Ardern in <gasps> charge, Jacinda who is up. Great. Love her. It's like, I don't think that argument holds up right now. <laughs> I don't think it holds up then, because no. uh, if Louis has been organising this column, yeah. why the heck do they have all the army at the front and they don't have a rear guard? That's a very good point. Right? Like, why would you even allow the unarmed people to be separated right? from them? Yeah. Like, it's so badly organised. Even if you have people marching off ahead, which is not great. No. They don't seem to have anyone at all with the rear of the column to protect yeah. it, except for Louis's bodyguards who were just there to protect him and who got killed, like, instantly. <laughs> God. Okay, so yeah. finally, though, yeah. the remnants of this army yeah. <laughs> make it to Antioch. Yeah. Raymond of Antioch is... It's on- like, what the bloody <laughs> hell happened to you? <laughs> I was expecting a massive army. And he mm. said, we've got this... Probably pretty knackered army and a very bedraggled looking Louis. I know, poor <laughs> Louis. Um, but on the whole, he's pleased to see everyone who survived. Yeah. Um, because he wants some help uh, attacking the Muslim encampment at Aleppo so that they can retake Edessa, which is the whole point of the crusade. Basically, right. the Muslims took Edessa. The second crusade was announced. They want to get Edessa back. Okay, right, I see. Yeah. So, Louis who's been sent to go and retake Odessa, mm-hmm. says no. Amazing. <laughs> because he's a pilgrim. Yeah. And he's trying to cleanse himself of his sin. Mm-hmm. So he wants to continue as a pilgrim to Jerusalem, which was one of his, like, goals. Yeah. That he established, like, before he went. Ah, uh, he's he, he can't possibly help fight. He's got bone spurs in his feet. <laughs> oh, shush. We'll get taken down by the NSA. <laughs> I don't care. Bring it. <laughs> so, Louis is being unhelpful. Yeah. And Eleanor takes a stand because mm. she's badass. Mm-hmm. And she says, look, we have got to help Raymond. Mm. This is what we came here for. Yeah. This will help sort out the whole Christendom thing in the Holy Land. Yeah. We should retake Odessa. It's around this point while they're staying in Antioch that she's accused of being too close to her uncle. 
right? Mm. Is there any actual evidence of this or is no. it... No, of course not. There is no evidence of this whatsoever. Man, medieval people really thought that women were like sexed up all the time. I mean, at least they were pretty consistent on this idea, which is they did believe that women were the ones who were mm. um, obsessed with sex yeah. and men weren't. Yeah. Um, so the whole worrying about women sleeping around thing makes a little bit more sense, I guess. Yeah. At least if you have that belief that women are the ones who are obsessed with sex. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so she's accused of being too close to her uncle. They claim that she's sleeping with her uncle. Mm-hmm. Um, there's no real, like, there's no, like, there's nothing to no. this. It's, it's a, it's a rumor that was going around. Yeah. Um, like, to be honest, it seems to me that at this point, she's having a lot of issues with her husband. Right. Um, one of which is that uh, he has actually taken a vow of chastity mm. um, for the duration of his pilgrimage to Jerusalem. Yeah. Like, from the very beginning of the crusade when he took the cross. Uh, she may be a bit frustrated. Yeah. So it sounds more like if she's spending time with her uncle, it's probably because she's just bitching about her husband. Yeah. <laughs> like... Apparently, at the beginning of their relationship, when he was 17 and she was maybe 30, and he was obsessed with her, he thought that she was amazing mm-hmm. um, and like so interesting and so vibrant and all this kind of thing. And she was like a really interesting, vibrant lady. She has all these ideas. She knows loads of stuff. She had been educated really well. Yeah. And she's with Louis, who's just like real pious. Yeah. It it doesn't feel like this marriage was no. meant to work. It seems more like he was a bit obsessed. Mm-hmm. She was like, oh, you know, power. Power. <laughs> also, I'm 13 or 15, and this is what I've been told I've got to do. Oh, yeah, I hadn't even considered that. But mm. yeah, of course. She, she had no what, option. What, what made me possibly think that her choice in the matter <laughs> would have been important? Okay, so literally at the time they got married, yeah. um, she was being looked after by the then King of France, Louis right. VII's father, which meant that he had... Um, ownership, yeah. like temporary ownership over the Aquitaine, mm-hmm. and he wanted to keep that in the family. Yeah. So yeah. Of course. Yeah. Ah, political marriages. Oh man, but <laughs> Eleanor is like, nope, this isn't happening. We need to go to, uh, we need to stay here in Antioch. We need to go to Odessa. We need to do all this stuff. And yeah. Louis's like, I think you might be sleeping with your uncle. Oh my god. Or at least there's the rumor that goes around. I don't yeah. know if he actually accused her. When they continue this argument, mm-hmm. she says to Louis, maybe we should just get an annulment. Mm. And the reason she thinks they can get an annulment is based on the consanguinity laws. The, okay. Uh, with blood. With blood. Oh, it actually is. Yes. Oh, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Thank you. These are laws to prevent incest. Ah, right. So. Oh. So, okay, okay. Let me just see if I can predict this. Go on. Is this going to be based on the fact that she was basically ward of the kit, the the of Louis's father? No. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, so close. Okay, so well, I got consanguinity. So you got consanguinity. I, I'm, I'm you can feel proud. Yeah. I'm gonna, so I'm gonna sit back. <laughs> oh, it's good back here. <laughs> Generally speaking, when we're looking at medieval times, mm-hmm. um. 
the church says that you can't marry someone within four degrees of yourself. Okay. So that means you count four generations up until you find a common ancestor. Right. Okay. Um, actually, technically, at that point, it was within seven degrees of yourself. So I have no idea how anyone in any royal family yeah. in Western Europe managed that. That They are all related within seven degrees, yeah. I swear. I mean, a lot of people are related within seven degrees. Yes. Yeah. It's a really big... Yeah. Gap. So... Even with the four degrees one, Eleanor and Louis are within four degrees of each other. Mm. Eleanor was Louis's third cousin once removed. Okay. So nowadays law would be like, whatever. Yeah. Um, but at the time, technically, they shouldn't have been married. Right. Okay. By the way, this is also the way that a lot of people got out of their royal marriages. <laughs> and also, later on when she marries Henry II, he's even closer related oh to her because God. they're third cousins, not even once removed. Uh, I have to admit, I never know what like the once removed part means. I don't know either. Let's just scoot, <laughs> let's just scoot on. Okay, cool. Let's pretend we know. Okay, so she goes, look, we shouldn't be married. We should get an annulment and I'm going to stay in Antioch. Nice. And at this point, Louis arrests her. Oh, no. And forces her to go with him to Jerusalem. Oh, for God's sake, Louis. I know. And we don't really hear much of Eleanor's part in the campaign after this. Yeah. Uh, largely, I believe, because she's technically under arrest. <laughs> this is not the last time she gets arrested by one of her husbands. Yeah. And, um, yeah, so she goes with him to Jerusalem under protest. And in the end, Louis did manage to do one campaign, yeah. which was the Siege of Damascus. Yeah. Uh, but he achieved little with it. Yeah. Basically, the whole thing was pointless, and well, they go home. I mean, he just sounds a bit wet, to be honest. Like, oh, I couldn't imagine him being, like, a great military uh, tactician. And, like, the Muslim world at this point, like, not only are you fighting them on their territory, but mm -hmm. they're also, like, they've got good track record when it comes to repelling invaders well yeah like the muslim world at this point i believe had one ruler so yeah. they they had there were an empire oh, right. that these people were going against yeah. i could be wrong about that the empire might have happened slightly later but mm. in any case we know that they are well equipped they're, yeah they've literally just taken odessa mm. um they're not going to give it up easily it's very easy to it's very hard to take over yeah. a place um, and and even if they're not like under one emperor it does seem I, I must admit i don't know a great deal about the history of it but from what i understand it is a lot more sort of centralized mm. i mean we we're talking earlier like france is essentially ruled by uh duchies rather yeah. than by one king which is not something that really happens. <laughs> no. Uh, yeah. Well, in the Muslim in, world. In the Muslim no. world. Uh, at that time, no. Mm. Uh, so, yeah, basically, Louis was not a great tactician. Yeah. Um, the Germans had mostly been killed. Yeah. Um, they've got help from Conrad, who was the leader of the Germans that remained, and Baldwin III, who was the king of Jerusalem, and that's it. <laughs> oh, no. I... I Baldwin, Baldwin is an unfortunate name. It's such an unfortunate name. And I, uh, it's probably partly because obviously it sounds like Baldrick. And if you're mm -hmm. a Blackadder fan, then you know... It's not going to work it's out. It's not going to work out. But Baldwin. Baldwin. Baldwin the third. Baldwin the third. There were a bunch of Baldwins in Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Anyone out there whose first name is Baldwin, yeah. blame your parents. Yeah. I mean, I was just suddenly thinking of the Baldwins, the acting family, but this is first name, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, second name is cooler. Yeah. Second name we can do. God, imagine if you're Baldwin Baldwin. 
<laughs> okay, so they give up. Like yeah. that was a bust. The yeah. two of them return with what's left of their armies to France. Mm-hmm. Eleanor still wanted an annulment, mm. but she was convinced by the Pope that she should give it another try. He said, "You're not going to get an annulment from me. <laughs> like you've already had a child together." Pope marriage counselor the first. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> Um, oh, I could imagine Pope Francis doing that. Pope Francis would be a great <laughs> marriage counsellor. Have you seen the thing today about... It's probably yesterday he said to the parents of LGBTQ par- uh, children? No, I haven't. He said, God loves your children as they are. Nice. Nice. Excellent. Um, you know, not the be all and end all. I know, but you it's, know... It's a step. It's for a the step. Catholic Church, mm-hmm. that is big. That, that is, is like, big. yes. So, um, this Pope, however, has a different approach. Yeah. According to John of Salisbury, who mm. was another chronicler, mm-hmm. he literally put Eleanor and Louis into a bed together um, and was like, you have got to fuck. Oh my God. This might actually be in a help because of Louis's vow of chastity. Like, <laughs> <laughs> The Pope is giving you the right to bone. Yes. Get down with it. Just like, for God's sake. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Okay. I mean, couldn't imagine a pope doing that. No. <laughs> mm, no. Um, but, you know, like, it might have helped. Apparently, <laughs> one of Eleanor's complaints about him was that it was like having married a monk rather than having married a king. Yeah. Uh, which, oh. I mean, this, this does sound like she has, you know, just some frustrations, shall we yeah. say, with the marriage. Yes. Maybe, in general. <laughs> maybe medieval people were onto this thing about women being, you know, hypersexed. <laughs> mm. Well, they definitely were onto it with Eleanor, but she was yeah. also part of the um, the court of romance, like court of love. Oh yes, of course. She she was one of the big courtly love people. Yeah. Yeah. So they had. So she's from the south of France, the Languedoc, mm-hmm. and that's where. And they are the passionate people. They are, but I don't know what accent you're doing. I don't know either. <laughs> Um, you you apologise for your French accent. I make no apologies for mine. <laughs> so there was a result from sticking Eleanor and Louis in a bed together. Yeah. Uh, which is that Eleanor did get pregnant mm. for the second time in this marriage, which has lasted slightly over 10 years. So this is like slow going for yeah. a marriage of that era. Mm. Oh God, when did she have her first child? How um, old was she? I don't know, actually. I'll look that one oh. up. I don't think we need to worry about mm, it too okay. much. Um, given that Louis just doesn't seem to have been at yeah. all interested. Um, so uh, she gets pregnant. Yeah. So they think, you know, maybe this will be the marriage working out and we can give the house, like we can give the French royal family a son and an heir. Yeah. However, it's a second daughter. Okay, yeah. And yeah. this is good for the annulment for two reasons. Mm. So first up, Louis starts to get a bit worried, based yeah. on the track record, that Eleanor might not be able to produce sons. Because, of course, it's her fault. Because it's always the woman's fault. <laughs> Even though that is scientifically impossible that mm-hmm. it is the woman's fault. But at the time, they did believe that it was the woman who yeah. formed what the child's gender was, or well, sex, rather. I mean, that's the whole reason behind the story of Henry VIII, isn't yeah. it? He was basically like these women keep producing daughters mm-hmm. or not producing children at all. And it's yep. like, it's their fault. I need to swap wives. Yep, it's, it's like, not them, Henry. <laughs> Henry, you're the one who has the Y chromosome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. Um, it also means, though, that Eleanor gets to keep the Aquitaine because there's no male ah, heir. So there's no, like, weird dodginess with uh, inheritance or, mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. So 
they get the annulment. Mm-hmm. Eleanor's once again just Duchess of Aquitaine. Nice. Wonderful. Mm-hmm. Uh, super powerful. She immediately, after the annulment, sends envoys to Henry, Duke of Normandy, who's nice. later going to be Henry II of England, telling him to come at once to marry her. Nice. And he is Count of Anjou? I believe he is as well. Yes. Yeah. I just remember that because of there's some great lines <laughs> in the line in winter. But I've got to say, like, I feel like this isn't the place I want to end it with Eleanor Rakuten for the moment. Okay. Just because uh, we've done her in, her in Crusade. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've done her issues with her marriage. And now she's at a point where she chooses her own husband. Nice. How unusual. Yeah. And also, we know that she and Henry II bone down like there's no tomorrow. Nice. And she has... <laughs> Three sons and yes. possibly some more daughters. I don't even know anymore. Excellent. Excellent. Um, so that we'll leave her in a happy place in her life, I think. So is this going to be our first two-parter? Um, we can do a two-parter if you like. I think, I think we could do a two-parter. We do this and then we'll do another episode with her and Henry. Okay, sure, yeah. Like if we, if we, we could even do it as a next week thing. Absolutely, let's do that then. Yeah, it will, it will change our sort of running order because typically we alternate it. But if you're happy to take the reins again next week... Yes, absolutely. We'll continue with the story of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Well, if you're enjoying it, if we like, think that it's something that you want to continue, then mm-hmm. 100%. Because yeah. Eleanor of Aquitaine goes on to have even more of a badass life. Nice. Excellent. Well, in that case then, folks, we're going to do our goodbyes in a sec. But tune in next week for the other half of our story of Eleanor of Aquitaine. Uh, this time we'll be doing... Eleanor of Aquitaine and how she got imprisoned by her own husband for 10 years. Again. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. Last time was only for like a month or so. Yeah, still imprisoned by her husband. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, thank you very much for listening to this episode of That Time When. Thank you to Kevin McLeod for our intro theme, Anachronist, and any other music that I have put into the podcast. Uh, thank you. Well, to you. I'm I'm doing the part that normally the person presenting mm-hmm. the episode does. I'm going to say then. Um, please feel welcome to follow us on Twitter. We are at that time when four. Mm-hmm. Or you can email your, any suggestions to us at ttwpod at gmail dot com. Mm-hmm. Uh, please like and rate and review and subscribe and all of those good things mm-hmm. on whatever medium you're listening to us on we've currently got soundcloud spotify and itunes apple podcasts uh maybe Mm. opening up in the future i'm not going to talk about it right now but you know we've had some messages Ooh, tantalizing we could be expanding we could be expanding uh but we'll talk about that when time comes it's still very early stages of it so yeah i'll leave you with that tantalizing bit of information (laughs) and also to to prepare you for next week where we'll be continuing with eleanor of aquitaine thank you for listening